Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining. Uh, as you can tell, I'm still a little sickish. My voice is still a little fucked up. The trip to New York that I just got back from today, and I'm talking to you now. This is now, well, this will be the day after my show on uh, IFC, Marin premieres with the first two episodes last night i hope you liked it it's definitely different we're, we're going a different direction with the same guy not not a happy direction initially but is it ever isn't that the big question uh if you did miss it i can direct you to these other places today the day after the show you can go to uh ifc.com uh, you can go to amazon and you can go to itunes to pick up those episodes we're all very proud of this season and uh, very excited about it and, uh, and very interested in, in how it is received. But uh, I love it. And it was a great experience for me. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, I don't know if you saw me on Fallon the other day. I guess I'm going to toot my own horn this whole fucking show because there were a couple of, I would say, for me, lifetime highlights in very subtle ways, but very profound to me. And uh, I want to share them with you because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not at the top of the world, but I, I am experiencing some some nice things and, and, and I appreciate them. And I, and I would like to share them with you if that's okay. I, you know, I'm not, uh, why do I have to, you know, d- disclaimer, you know, why am I offering you a disclaimer for, for relative happiness? You know, if you're going to stop listening because I'm not as much of a dick as I used to be, or or I, I'm not as disgruntled as I used to be, well then, well then I I, I would uh, I would encourage you to wait because if I know myself, these things come back around, <laughs> or or don't. But today on the show, I'm very excited to have uh, Ali Wong, uh, her uh, her special Baby Cobra, uh, which I which I got to watch. It premieres tomorrow, Friday, May sixth was one of the best stand-up comedy specials I've seen in a long time. I met Allie years ago. She uh, featured for me or opened for me. I, I, I can't remember. I talked to her about it uh, up in San Francisco, and I knew she was like a force. She's very specifically focused. She's got, uh, she just has endurance. She'll fucking deliver her shit. She's raw. She's smart. She's got fucking guts, and, uh, and her jokes are good, and it's provocative. 
And I just, I need you to watch this special because I fucking loved it. It's got a surprise ending in a way. And, and it's just, it's just great. It's just, it's just fucking raw, beautiful comedy. You don't see this kind of shit that often. Personal, raw, dirty, smart fucking comedy. And she delivers it. I, when, when she sent me the link to her special, I'm like, oh my God, what is it? Because I know I like her. I know I like her style and I know I like what I've seen. But like I watched this special, I'm like, oh, fuck yes. She's out there seven months pregnant, doesn't even really mention it for two-thirds of the special. It was just fucking... Can I say this about a woman? It was ballsy, man. It is a ballsy comedy special. And I loved having her. And there, and there was a surprise during the, uh, during the interview, something that I've never experienced and I don't think has ever happened in this garage. So look forward to that. So New York City, folks. New York City. It was raining and shitty the whole time we were there. We're both getting sicker, right? You know, I'm, worried, I'm doing a little press here, a little press there right and then i go uh i can here's the here's the funny thing lynn manuel the uh the creator and writer and star of hamilton i had heard was a big fan of wtf and i'd never met him before and the plan was i was going to go see hamilton uh and then uh, interview him and and we didn't have time to do the interview because the following day he got all these tony nominations and i had you know i had a big press day and i had uh, jimmy fallon show but here's the beauty. All right. Hamilton is great. Uh, and I'm obviously not the first guy to say that, but it's great for reasons that, I, you know, that are new to me because I, I don't go to musicals that often. And I saw two and I enjoyed both of them. And, you know, after the first act, there was part of me and both of them like, how much more could there be? And then the second act, it's like, oh, it all comes together and it's fucking amazing. But the thing about Hamilton is that not only is it a unique history lesson about a sort of... Um, you know, sidelined historical figure among the founders. Uh, But it's done in in a way that that is risky and it's provocative and it's human. But the way it's framed, the entire thing becomes an immigrant story. It becomes uh, the story of the founding of America. And it's an America for all types of people. And it's a uniquely New York show because it takes place in New York and it's got a New York flavor, both current and from the 1700s. And it's designed so anybody can play these roles because America is for everybody. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy who created it, played Alexander Hamilton. Aaron Burr was Wesley Odom Jr., great. George Washington, played by Christopher Jackson, great. King George, I believe, was Rory O'Malley. Uh, He was great. I'm not sure if this is the most current cast because I'd heard that maybe there's two guys that played that. I hope not. Eliza Hamilton was great. Angelica Schuller and uh, David Diggs who played Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson was amazing. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it, it was It was, It was. was everything that they say it is. You know, it is a musical. So, I mean, don't go expecting, you know, to leave and, and your, your cancer is cured. I mean, it's a musical and it's a great musical and I don't see a lot of musicals. It reminded me of Jesus Christ Superstar. You know, it, it had uh, it had a darkness to it that was elevated, uh, and, and everything is like, you know, the, the, the resolution is like, you know, the beginning of America. So, anyways... I was happy to have seen it, but here's what happens, okay? So at intermission, the house manager comes up to me and says, Lynn wants you to come backstage and say, hi, just meet me over there at that door. And I'm like, of course, you know. So the play ends, it's a standing ovation. It's beautiful. Standing ovations are beautiful when you get them and when you're part of them. 
the the cast is taking their bows, and there's a lot of people up there. It's about thirty people. They do a, a, a curtain call, and they all bow, and then they start to walk off stage. And I'm watching him. Lin Manuel is is walking off stage. He turns as he's walking off stage at to a standing ovation of his show. He turns and somehow looks directly at me and mouths, "Boomer lives." <laughs> Oh my God, you know, and it was just such a private, beautiful, large moment for me, you know, because who's going to know, you know, and I, and I just saw it directly. I was looking right at him and he did it and I couldn't fucking believe it. It was so fucking sweet and beautiful. It was, it was like, uh, it made me feel special, people. It made me feel special. And I went back, on, I went backstage, we had a nice conversation and I, I met, uh, I met Christopher Jackson as well, and you know we made plans where you know I'm going to go back and and talk to him, and I'm excited to talk to him. I'm excited to learn about theater, and I and I've been doing that. It's exciting. It's a new thing. It's a new thing, and um, so that was a thrilling part of the New York trip. You hear me? Dig it. So okay, Jimmy Fallon. I personally love Jimmy Fallon. Great guy, fun guy. I you know I'm always happy to see him. And I was excited that they let me come on The Tonight Show because I had not done The Tonight Show. Uh, I've only done one other Tonight Show. So I go to a 30 Rock. Sarah goes with me, hanging out, getting ready to go on, changing my shirt. And uh, Lauren Michaels just walks in. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? I'm like, what? Huh? Like he just dropped by to chat. And uh, he hung out for about five, ten minutes just talking. Asked me how I was doing, what was going on, how I was feeling. We talked about Louie for a little while and about comedy. And uh, he said, all right, I got to go. Got to go across the hall and go to work. I'm like, all right, nice to see you. It was, <laughs> it was uh, I don't know what to tell you, people. I, d- I don't know what to say. It was a very nice thing. And I was very, ex- I was excited to see him. It's very nice where, you know, where I've got this place in the world that's mine. I don't really need anything from anybody. I really don't. And I like talking to people and I like doing what I do, but I just, uh, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay where I'm at. And it was nice that, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be hanging out. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know that, I, you know, we're going to go out to dinner or anything, but, but it was, uh, it was a cool experience for me. All right. It was nice. It was nice to be relaxed and not need anything and just have a chat with a guy that, you know, I've, uh, you know, got to know by talking to him on this show. And he's, he just happens to be Warren Michaels. Is that Okay. Can I have that experience? All right, look. Here's what I got to tell you. I'm serious about Ali Wong. I'm serious that you should watch his special. It's called Baby Cobra. It premieres on Netflix tomorrow, May 6th. I, I'm not being paid by Netflix. I'm not. I just. She kind of blew me away, and I was excited about that. And I'm glad that this timed out, and we could have her on the show and uh, talk to her because uh, she's she's a great comic. So let's uh, let's talk now. Uh, embrace yourself there is a what am I saying that for it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing that happens and uh, all right so this is me and uh, Ali Wong sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases any attention at all there are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics but luckily for us there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time this is basically like the best possible college English class but more relaxed and fun 
No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. How old is this kid now? She's almost five months. She's five months. Yeah. A girl. You had a girl. A girl. Yeah. I like, I sort of, you know, only seeing you at the comedy store, it's just like, oh, she's pregnant. And then, like, oh, she must have, yeah. So I don't know, like, you, like, our lives only cross in that way. So I guess, well, everything went all right. There she is in her sweatpants without the. <laughs> Without the baby. Yeah, I only wear sweatpants now. Yeah. I can't handle any buttons, any zippers. I can only pull. Why? It's too much, dude. It's like when you have a kid, it's <laughs> it's awesome and it's not for me, it hasn't been as hard as everybody says it was. Uh-huh. But it's relentless. Yeah. So like any way you can shave off minutes, let's do it. Yeah. So like a button gonna get in my way of going and taking a pee. Go taking a shower. Yeah. Cutting it out. No more buttons. Yeah. And then you have to deal with the kid constantly. When do you start um, getting help to deal with the kid? I got help uh, two months out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. So I've been having help. So I, I mean, I complain yeah. about it a lot on stage, but really it's been pretty great and not... Like I said, not as hard as everybody said it was oh, really? going to be. That's because she's a chill baby and also because... Um, you know, people complain a lot about the lack of sleep, mm-hmm. but when you're a comic and you had to do the road when yeah. you're not famous yeah. and you have to do like radio right. and fly to horrible parts of the United States yeah. and then get up in the morning to drive to another horrible yeah. part in the United States to perform for like a lackluster crowd, that was really hard. Well, it sounds, you made it sound so good comedy <laughs> comedy yeah i mean when you're when you're not like an overnight success and you're like oh, you don't gotta tell me the long you know you have like the long longer road it's like it's you know and you're doing the road yeah. like that uh i fucking loved your special i watched it oh thanks man it's I like one of the best it. specials i've seen in a long oh, time oh my god that means so much does it yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i always liked you and i'm trying to remember like, I had this thing. Did, did you feature for me in San Francisco once? I hosted for you fresh <laughs> fresh off of one of your divorces. Yeah. I don't know which one it was. Must have been like 2006-ish, yes. 7? I think so. Right. And, and to be honest, like, everybody was hyping up this guy, Mark Marin, yeah. and everything. And, like, you were a legend. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, I cannot wait to host for him. Yeah, and, and you were depressed.com. <laughs> and the whole set was just you sitting on the stool trying to process yeah. your divorce. Yeah. I swear to God, it was as if you had just gotten divorced, like, literally right before you got on stage. Probably. She probably yeah. just left me. Yeah. And, and that then, was one was that one of your first opening gigs? It was. So when was that? Like so give me the date. Was it two thousand six? I think it was two thousand six. Right. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
But I remember like you were so fucking funny. And I actually had one of these things where I had years later, this was a few years ago, like I was doing a bit about like about yoga. Uh And I'm like, why does this feel familiar? It wasn't like, didn't you used to do like a bitter yoga instructor bit? Yes. Right. How they like, gosh, I forgot about that. You know how they do all their diatribes at the beginning of class? Right. And then some, and then they'll just be like, okay, you know, we're going to really focus on breathing. And I really need to focus on my breathing because I'm uh, having bad thoughts, you know, because my, I'm in a custody battle with my husband and I need strength. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I did used to do something. About right. That. Well, I, I did a guy, that. I just did a guy in class, you know, like that, the sort of in, I do the position I'd be in, in just hating on the teacher. Like, oh, fuck you. Fuck you. This oh, is bo- yeah. Yeah. It was different, but like, I remembered like, oh, she did the yoga teacher thing. Like the bitter, like sort of, uh, that was funny. Why don't you do that anymore? I don't know. Things really- Oh no, they go away, right? They come and go for me. When did you start doing comedy? Right after, stand-up comedy, yes, we were doing it right after um, college. Maybe yeah. when I was 23 years old, so that was like in 2005. And you grew up in the Bay Area the whole time? I grew time? up in San Francisco proper. Right in San Francisco? Yeah. Like what neighborhood? In Pacific Heights. Really? Yeah, right by Temple Emanuel. Uh-huh. Uh huh, and you, like I watching the special, like it's weird because your special, like there's actually a spoiler possibility, right? Maybe don't spoil that. No, 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 I yeah. won't. <laughs> but like it, it, it's like it was so fucking beautiful and crass and fucking ballsy, and you're all pregnant, dressed yeah. in tight dress. <laughs> I fucking loved it. Oh, thanks. Because I man. get, to, you know, it's like just being straight up honest and being, you know, like as smartly filthy as you were was really smart oh thanks it's very i mean i don't like you know a lot of people i think have intentions about the kind of comic they want to be and i it's so hard to just be funny yeah and And that's all i ever wanted to be and even now it's like what is going to make them laugh and what's going to make me laugh and also that's the goal yeah Yeah, and honest yeah like i don't want to do there's some, like, I I mean, hopefully I don't do hacky stuff and I don't want to because it doesn't make me laugh. Even if it makes other people laugh, I've if never, it doesn't like, make me laugh, then I don't want to do it. Well, the, but funny, it's like, the funny thing is about your approach to being a woman is like, there are like, you know, the hacky avenues. Right. And there really isn't any. Yeah. And everything that you bring up that it, what what I thought was amazing is like, not only does what you're talking about. You know, whether it be, um, you know, shitting or anal yes. or, or uh, you know, uh, fucking that, that like not, no, not only does it make men uncomfortable, but makes women uncomfortable. But they're so happy yeah. that there's a revelation, <laughs> you know, like they're like you literally do stuff that that, you know, in depth, not like just pay lip yeah. service to that that women do not fucking talk about in public or yeah you, oh that whole prostate thing see i'm just gonna drop little nuggets i'm not gonna right well because it's true for me you know right. like right that's, you that's get the, more. like that's the honest thing it's like you know i'm uh like obviously kind of like a perverted gross freaky person and i mean i do talk in my special about how i it's like sticking my fingers up a man's butthole, a straight man's ass is so exciting yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. It's like I went to Disneyland recently and I 
got this special hookup where I got to skip all the lines, got to go on all these awesome roller coasters. None of that was exciting to me <laughs> than sticking my fingers up a straight man's butthole. <laughs> like when you're the first to do it, it's so exciting. It's so like, because there, there's all this like, besides the physical stuff, yeah. it's like, I mean, at, the, at my age and yeah. like at this point in my life, sex is like 99% mental shit anyways. Right. And for me to get aroused, it's like doggy style spanking. Yeah. Don't cut it no more. Yeah. I have to wage psychological warfare on a man in order <laughs> Your husband. for me to come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, but like also the way you characterize the dude sort of being sort of like, no, no, no. Yeah. I just like, I don't know what it is, whether it's San Francisco or like, because there is both your comedic style and also the sexuality that you're exposed to just by living there culturally, yeah. like, you know, with the, with the size of the, especially the male gay community, you're like, you hear about fucking everything and you, totally. you know, you live with it all the time and you, you talk to people about it and that, that like the intensity of those conversations and the type of sexuality that happens in that town almost publicly. Yeah. I mean, and I grew up, you know, my dad was a doctor and he really? worked in the ER. What kind of doctor? He's an anesthesiologist. Okay. And he would tell me about all the crazy things he would see as a result of people's like sexual adventures. He would see, you know, in the ER, yeah. men, men would come in with like 50 Barbie heads in their Get the butt. fuck out of here. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. We just used, um, oh, I don't want to, well, I don't know when this is going to go on. We just used a guy putting a Barbie doll head in his ass on my TV show. Yeah, I mean that. I'm glad to see that there's a you know. It's the, a thing because you can see again how like sex is like a lot of it is mental stuff. Like, right. Why does that arouse you? Maybe because you like to play with Barbies and who well, knows? Well, fetish. The world of fetish is like God. That's you can't even explain it. There's exactly. No, yeah. So so really so. And he would talk openly about all that stuff. So he's a pretty progressive guy. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. My dad was really really progressive. My, both my parents. Yeah. Were yeah. And ha and you have just one brother. I have a brother and two sisters. Oh, yeah? I was the last. They're all 10 years and up. So your mom is really in her 80s? My mom is, she's in her late 70s uh -huh. now. Yeah. Yeah. And your dad's- is, he's, he's gone. He's, he's gone. He passed away. He passed away about uh, five years ago or so. So you're growing up in San Francisco and like just judging by the by the set, um, you, you know, you were pretty wild. Yeah, I was. Like in high school- I yeah. went to like uh, a private school right. and did a lot of drinking. Yeah, and I was. But yeah. you grew up like middle class, like comfortable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally yeah. comfortable. Yeah. And I, I mean, for no good reason. I didn't have a lot of angst or yeah. anything. It was just like fuck it, fuck it, yeah. something to do. And I drank a lot. I at one point, I think I remember I drank in high school like two two and a half of those forty ounces of old English. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah, blackout. Yeah, I'm surprised that I'm still here. Yeah. What about drugs? No, I was not that big into drugs. And then, because weed always made me paranoid and I was scared to do anything else. Yeah. So I haven't, and since then, um, I haven't really been into drugs. Like, I kind of stopped in high school. Yeah. And then I met my husband, who is really into ayahuasca Ugh. and then we how old are you guys 
we're both like I'm I'm 33 and he's 34. Right. And then I hadn't done anything except for weed since high school, yeah. and it was like zero to 100. You went and did it. What did you do it in this sort of like environment with other people? The whole ayahuasca yeah. thing. Yeah, we've done we do it. We've done it a couple times together now. Yeah, like is it? A- At first, I did it just to prove to him that I could be his like warrior princess mm-hmm. because I really liked him, and yeah. I was like, oh. Like it's part of the looks, test. Yeah, like it, it's part of the test. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um, but then I, I mean, a lot came out, and it was wonderful. Really? Yeah. Wait, let's 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 back up. So your husband is like, what's he do for a job? He works in startup stuff now. Oh, so he's like, yeah. one, you know, he's, he's like a business dude. He's like business gambling, dude. looking for the for the app money. He, that's when he's doing his own startup thing. Yeah. But now he's like with an established startup. But before, um, I mean, he'll go back and forth between like a corporate thing, his thing, and then he's another doing all right? thing. Yeah, he's doing great. Oh, good. So, all right. So this is a grown man and he's uh, a grown man. But he's, he's obviously. Like, he's like an Asian dude with Aztec undertones. Uh-huh. It's very hard to understand him. Well, where did he grow up? He grew up in D.C., with like a, for, uh, another middle class guy, yes. Like is he in any respectful? He went to Harvard Business School, yes. So, so very cultured, very cultured. Was his parents in politics or something? Um, no. Do you know those little octopuses that came in your cereal when we were younger? That yeah. like you would throw on the wall and that were sticky. Yeah. His dad was like the distributor of those, <laughs> <laughs> and then his mom worked worked at the World Bank. They're awesome. The distributor of. Sticky octopuses? Yeah. And then he had a show his, his, his on the East Coast called Dr. Fad. Yeah. This is his dad? This is his dad. Yeah. So it's so funny because my dad um, was like a really unconventional, quirky Asian guy who yeah. always surprised people with his quirkiness. And then when now my friends meet my husband's dad, they're like, wow, yeah. that's so crazy. What are the odds? What are the odds? <laughs> that you both have these same weirdo dads. Yeah. But his dad's what, Japanese? Japanese, yeah. And your dad's Chinese? My dad's Chinese. And his mom's Filipino? Yes, and, and my you're... mom's Vietnamese. So we gave birth to Asia. <laughs> All of it. All of it, yeah. <laughs> what's it? What's the kid look like? She looks Japanese. She does. Very, whatever. She can look like however she wants to look like, right. but I wish she looked a little bit more like me. But part of me is... What do you think you look like? Thai? Um, I don't know. Vietnam, you're, you're, when I'm in Vietnam, people think I'm Japanese, but I think that's because of the way I dress mm-hmm. and because I wear like interesting glasses. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but most people can guess that, that I'm Chinese. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, I'm kind of Southeast Asian. But like your dad, like, did they, did they speak Chinese? Yes. So it's kind of, you know, a lot of my other friends who are Asian American, who I went to UCLA with, their parents came more recently. Yeah. But my mom came from Vietnam in the 1960s, which is very unusual because most Vietnamese people came after 1975. Was was she leaving the the war? No. No. She came on a scholarship to just study at a college in the Midwest. She got lucky, huh? She got really lucky. And then my dad was born and raised in San Francisco, in San Francisco, Chinatown. Oh, wow. And he grew up- In Chinatown? In Chinatown. Like, wow. Super poor- no running water, stretch up like slept in a twin bed with his two sisters and his mom, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory style, feet yeah. by the head. Yeah. Um, no running water. In Chinatown in San Francisco. In Chinatown, San Francisco, had to like 
like fish out vegetables out of the garbage. Oh my god! Yeah, crazy. With his mother, so like when he, when he succeeded, were they around to appreciate and enjoy that? Yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a story. Yeah. So they were first generation. His parents. Yeah, his parents came here. Wow. Through through Angel Island. Uh huh. Yeah. Which is is that in San Francisco? That's like the Ellis Island of the West Coast. Yes. Which is all probably Asian immigrants. It's all Asian immigrants. His dad, my grandfather, came when he was eight years old. Yeah. To work as a houseboy. In San Francisco. In Monterey. Oh, my God. But he came when he was eight years old by himself. And we have a picture from Angel Island. Yeah. This black and white picture. And he's just, he's so small. It's like it. Did you know him? Barely. He passed away when I was in second grade. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really have much. And then I couldn't communicate with my grandma on my mom's side at all. So I didn't really have much of a relationship with her. Yeah. Is she here? No. Oh. Yeah. So you don't speak any of, of any of the languages? No, I speak conversational Vietnamese, but that's because I went and did this uh, program yeah. in college and after college to learn Vietnamese. But it's like, I have the proficiency of maybe like a second grader. Right. Which is kind of cute probably to some people. Not, not to Vietnamese people. They're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Just speak English. And I thought my mom would be excited. And she's like, this is so exhausting. <laughs> Trying to hear your long ass, slow, boring sentences about what time is it? Basic shit. Let's talk about real shit in English, please. Does she talk like that? No, she doesn't talk like that. But <laughs> the spirit is like right. that. So now, like with something like that, were they were they discouraged to be married because of the two? You know, like a Jew thing, like where it's sort of like was your dad's mom like, don't marry a Vietnamese lady. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then none of that baggage. No, and my mom was banging. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it's crazy when you have a mom who is so much like you look at pictures of her and they're so much hotter than you will ever be. So it's like I'm sure her, you know, my dad's parents were like, "Yeah." Yeah. Get it. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you, where'd you meet your husband? At a wedding. So he went to I went to this he went to Sidwell which is where the like Obamas go to school. A private school? Yeah, like private a- school in DC. And then I went to like the Sidwell of San Francisco. And then, so we went to school with all Jewish people. Yeah. And we went to this wedding in Napa where the bride, uh, I went to high school with her and he went to high school with the husband. Yeah. We were the only Asian people at the wedding and everybody else was Jewish. Yeah. And I saw him and I was like, we were probably raised in the same economic bracket. Yeah. He's hot. I'm going to make this happen. (laughs) (laughs) And you did. And I did, yeah. And we turned out to click, and he turned out to be a lot more interesting and weird and, like, fun than I had expected. And it keeps keeps going that way. Really? Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. And, but you, but by that point, so, like, you met him at a wedding. How old were you? Were you already doing comedy? Yeah. That was maybe five or six years ago. So did he come watch you do comedy and have to... He did. I sent him an email to yeah. come see me do a show because I was like, this guy, he's, he's really good looking. He looks like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And I was like, I am going to get this guy with my looks. I yeah. gotta... Yeah. It's either he's going to like the funny or he's not going to like the funny and that's my only shot. And so I invited him to a show and he loved it. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> and... Then we went out on a what I thought was a date, but he like actually borrowed money from me on our first date. 
And then I was like, oh, fuck, this is not a date. <laughs> and then. He borrowed money? He borrowed money from me. To His, pay for the for date? Yeah, and it was like one of those places in New York where you order at the counter mm-hmm. and pick up your food right. at the counter. And it was disgusting. Yeah. And I was disappointed. Uh-huh. But then we just kept on going out. Yeah. So, all right. So that brings us. So you, he had graduated Harvard Business already. And he was, yes. and he was, when you met him, he was living in New York. Yeah. So you were kind of going back and forth and doing some comedy and like hanging out with him. I like, was living in New York at the time too. You were? Yeah. So I lived in San Francisco for, I did comedy in San Francisco for maybe like four years. And then I lived in New York for like two years. Doing comedy? Yeah. Did I, I didn't, what, I guess I never came across you then. Mm-mm. What were you doing? Like the alt rooms and shit? Yes, yeah. I was doing a lot of doing the alt rooms. Yeah, doing the clubs whenever I could, like comic doing... strip. Yeah, did that... you ever get in the cellar? I did, but after I, yeah, I think I did towards the end. Yeah, and then and then um, I lived in New York again because I was on this ABC medical drama yeah. that was shooting in New York, and then I was at the cellar. Like, yeah, I mean, I was at the cellar. Every you were night. doing at you were acting in a medical drama. I was. And you had a regular gig? Yeah, I played a quirky radiologist with agoraphobia, and I had a love arc with a plumber. Which which show was that? It was called Black Box. Vanessa Redgrave was in it. Oh, really? Yes. And that was just an acting gig? That was just an acting gig, yeah, and it was great. Wow. It was really How many fun. episodes of that did, you, did 13. it 13. So it did a whole season? It did a whole season. It was in the summer. It died. Yeah. As things do. But you're in and you're dating your boyfriend, you're doing comedy and you're on a TV show. Yeah. Everything's going good. Yeah. It you're, was one of the best times. And was, then you come back here. Then I come back here. What brought you like how did it go? So you were in San Francisco doing comedy, then you go to New York. To yeah, do and then comedy, it was then like we- in San Francisco, there comes a point where I I mean, I used to joke that there's this saying that people who live in New York have a lot of ambition and a lot yeah. of talent. And people who live in LA have a lot of ambition and no talent mm-hmm. and people in San Francisco go to Burning Man <laughs> and I was like I got I felt that and I was yeah. like I gotta get out of here yeah. I can't like I had friends who their whole lives were built around like Burning Man and like poetry night at the cafe yeah. that's what San Francisco used to be it's not like you know not this like I, dickish te- tech town that it is now and so I was like I gotta get out of here like yeah. and there was comics there yeah. who were just like ghosts who would just like you know, no, your, I, your dream was to like get to be a feature at the punchline, and it would just like be a feature forever. And I'm like, I can't leave. do that. Yeah, yeah, people don't leave. It's the weirdest thing. And like when you're there, I never quite understood. There's a lot of that sort of like maybe not anymore because of the tech boom, but just you know culturally when I was there, I never knew what the fuck was going on. Uh, you know, just energy wise, like yeah. what are all, you know, you, I got the gay community, but there was this whole other world of people that just seemed to be lost in between college and being ninety. Right. You're like, what? Are, <laughs> what are they? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? You know? Yeah. It's bizarre, man. It's bizarre. Like, there's something about. I think weed is just killing the will of so many people. They just and there's also like that, and they hack the system. Yeah. Like, there's so many awesome social services in San Francisco. Or like they found an apartment or something right. and they just like, they hacked that shit yeah. and somehow like are able to live in this beautiful apartment and you know- Just they, smoke weed. Just smoke weed, working on that zine, yeah. you know, <laughs> yep. volunteering at 826 Valencia, yep. uh, like doing God knows, working at that nonprofit yep. that takes, you know, people- 
children of color in hot air balloons once a year or something. Yeah. And also there's just this this thing about, you know, to be a big shot, big fish in a little pond. It's There's a lot of that there. Totally. And a lot of guys, like a lot of people would come down here and just fucking hit the wall and then and scramble back. Up. Yeah, on, on one turn. Right. You know what? Like, like back in the day, like those comics you're talking about, the San Francisco guys, they'd come, they'd do an evening at the improv, and they're like, I guess that's it. Exactly. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I know. It's hard to understand show business. Like, there's a whole generation of comics. Like, some people, and it's still that way, some people get into comedy to do comedy, and then they just expect show business to find them somehow. And I'm I like, know. what are you doing? Yeah. We, you got to be full of anger and resentment and ambition. And, yeah. You know, and, and that takes years to build up too a callus that's yeah. why it's like the comics that i like yeah they have to have that yeah i only like comics who have been doing it for 10 years plus yeah i don't know what the hell's going on i would say maybe 15 years plus sure. even you know yeah because at least you know you're in the hands of a professional you know even if you don't yeah. like their comedy you're like that person fits up there and they, but they yeah. have to go that thing like i i heard that that awesome interview you did with patrice o'neill oh, yeah. and he talks about going on the roller coaster twice in this business mm -hmm. and i think i only want to listen to people <laughs> who have been on the roller coaster like yeah. at least twice yeah, yeah you know yeah. where they're not having as much fun right on the second ride anymore because they're so filled with like anxiety that the the, the roller coaster ride's gonna end yeah yeah because it's so human yeah and i identify with that and yeah. that's how life is you know right. that's how like relationships are right it's like i mean it's interesting because you know with my parents by the time they got to me they understood the concept of dating mm-hmm they didn't understand that with my siblings yeah. at first, I think. Like, the first person you date, you don't marry. But yeah. they understand, like, you ramp up, you think you're going to marry this person, and then the relationship goes sour, and it dies. And you move on, and the next person you find is better. Yeah. You know, and like, with that's... Or you getting, just repeat the same thing over and over or again. Or you repeat for, the same... You go on the same roller coaster years. ride over and over again. <laughs> yeah. It's just a different color, a different race. one day yeah. why you're like, well, this is not even fun. I know when it's going to... Oh, here comes that thing. Then, yeah. <laughs> But you must have been like, you know, if I if the stuff in your special is based on truth, your parents must have been like, what what the fuck are we going to do with her? Kind of. Or they were over like, it. They were over it. I mean, my sister is an unemployed lesbian. One of my sisters. So they're like, do whatever the fuck you want. Like, you make money, you, you know, great. And when they came to my shows and people were laughing yeah. in San Francisco, they couldn't believe it. And they were so proud. Yeah. Yeah. They're really supportive. And you, they were like, ex you know. You my realized dad, it. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. Even and if like, they don't get it. And I had ambition. Yeah. You know, they were like proud that I wanted to do something. But you're like a real comic. I mean, you wanted to be a real comic. I mean, when you were coming up in San Francisco, who were you watching there? Because there was still, like, the one thing about San Francisco, when I lived there for that two years or whatever, like, it it, in, it in, enabled a freedom of of creativity on a comedy stage that no other place does. Totally. Like, it's built into the fabric of the city yeah. to sort of, like, be yourself, you know, go in, there's that whole kind of riff style that you kind of, like, uh, are part of in a way, I can tell that some of the influences, yeah. where you just sort of own the stage, you have freedom of mind, yeah. and you do what you're going to do, you define yourself. Yeah, I mean... They'll indulge some noodling, San Francisco. They'll let you fucking dick off. Totally. And it's part because there's like homeless people on the street at Civic Center BART station who are like talking your ear off and people listen to them, you know? <laughs> so it's like they'll listen to anybody. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was such a great place to come up. And you were I, like 23 when you started? I was 23. Where'd you go to college? UCLA. You did the whole four years? I did the whole four Stor years. Studying what? Asian American studies. Yeah. So you're on top of that shit? 
Um, got a handle on I it? Feel, you are Asian. Now you are Asian American studies. You've, yeah. covered, you've got it all covered. Well, and it's so interesting because I thought I was so passionate about it at the time and I was so into was, it. Yeah, what was the angle though? What did you think you were going to do with it? I thought maybe I would be like a professor right. or something, sure. right? Yeah. And then this other guy who was in my one of my classes was talking about how after he finished college, he was not going to continue with like academia and Asian American studies and that he was going to go um, into the restaurant business. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, do you want to study or do you want to be studied? And I was like, oh, I guess being studied sounds more glamorous. That was an Asian guy? It was an Asian guy. That was because that was a very simple philosophical kind of like almost Zen-like question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something very Asian about the phrasing. Totally, it was like a it was like a Yoda phrase. Right, Buddha just came up to you through that guy. Yeah, and I was like, uh, and then, but I was in this comedy group also in college. Yeah. So it kind of sketch group. A sketch group, yeah. So the first time you did stand up was it like at the punchline? I think it was at the Brainwash Cafe Wait, oh, in the, San Francisco. The that place machine? south of Market. Yes, it's a laundromat I, slash I, cafe. I think I was there when that started. Full on homeless shelter. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd have a show there. They'd have a show there. And you'd sign up. You got to do like three or five minutes. And there's all those washing machines. And you can eat there too, right? They had coffee and shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that place. Yeah. I remember when that was happening, like at the very beginning maybe when I went back up there. It was one of those things where... <sighs> I mean, you started when that was happening. That shit wasn't happening when I started. What? Like shitty what? shows? Well, that alt were rooms. Awesome? Oh, yeah. Like that. Like where it's sort of like, they, you know, they there's this sort of idea. It's like, yeah, there's a show to laundromat. Like in what world would that be a good thing? Like right. when I was coming up, if someone said, you want to do the show to laundromat? I'm like, oh, what now that's we... like the norm. I know. I now know. people I... like fight to get on these shows. And it's like, it's in a backyard. Yeah. And yeah. there's a secret email list. It's not even promoted on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. It's like, hey, how can I get yeah. on that show? I'll yeah. still do the shittiest shows. I was doing them up till like a year or so ago, and then I realized, like, I don't need to any. I'm not going to. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just, I mean, recently, like, I was like, I got to be part of that, and right. I got to, like, that audience. And then, like, you know, one day, you know, I, I just was at, you know, uh, at one of them, and I'm like, I just want to do real comedy. Yeah. At a, <laughs> at a real comedy place. You yeah. know, like, when you go to the store, you're like, this is like a real, this is where you do comedy. Right. For real. Yeah. Well, that's become your, I mean, you're one of those people where that's kind of become your open mic. Yeah. That's become the I place can do it there now. where you feel safe. Right. I don't totally have that yet. And I don't know if I even want to have that place because sometimes when the audience is so shitty. At the store? The, no, not at the store, oh. but like at these other shitty yeah, rooms. Right. When the circumstances are so shitty, you get that anger and then you blurt out what things. What you need. Do you, is that how you write? That's how I write. Me too. I never write. I only write on stage. Me too. I can't just sit. It all has to come oh, from like pure emotion. It's the best. Yeah, and you just feel like yeah. something streaming out of your mouth and you you have like no pause between your brain right. and your mouth. And then it's delivered. It's delivered. Oh, it's, it's the best. It's great, but it comes from, and it comes from honestly and emotion and frustration right and so that's why those rooms will always i think have value to me and yeah. i am one of those comics too who's like i'm so in love with the process yeah of stand-up comedy yeah. like i it you know on the chance one times out of ten that i'll get a new bit yeah writing on stage yeah i chase after that yeah all the it's time the best yeah like and that's I, why like with this kid like i still can't help but go out 
a lot. Yeah. Yeah, at night. Well, it's like it's our valve. You know, it's it's like where we actually have a voice. Yeah. That you know that I I can't even explain it, but I don't meet many people that write like that. Because I do it too, and then, you know, you know, when you have part of a new bit, like it's working good enough, and you're just waiting for it to finish itself. Right. When is this going to finish itself? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then one night it just comes, and you're like, right? Oh, yeah. Thank, thank God, there you were. Yeah, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. It's the best. Because, um, all right, so, so. You're doing the laundromat. And doing then, the laundromat. And then you're doing the punchline. Started, yeah. So, you know, Molly should make the booker at the punchline. Sure. So great. Had this whole system. She is great. I've known her since she was like 12, I think. Oh, she's- She was there when she was like 15. She's been there forever. Yeah. And uh, so intimidating to me at first. Well, she does that. Yeah. But then like, <laughs> she's my friend now and I love her and she's yeah. like, she's- just like a, you know, now she's a friend, but it was so scary because she, there was this system. I don't know any club in any city that has this system where you uh, wait in the back at the punchline mm-hmm. every Sunday. You get to know all the comics, watch yeah. people's sets. There's 13 spots. Yeah. And you wait like nine months to a year and a half to get one of those spots, your first shot. Really? Yeah. And so I waited every Sunday and watched. You know, the same comics go up and, you know, people really want that. And then finally I got my first shot. Yeah. And all of these old, you know, older comics were like really sweet and gave a recommendation for me. And I ate it so hard. But then she gave me another shot uh, six months later and it di- and I did well. And then. Did you let on that you were eating it or just plow? I just plow. plow. Yeah, yeah. I'm a plower. Uh, you are a plower. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to let on. I'm like, what is the point? Yeah. I'm not going to come up with any new bits about that are valuable about bombing. I'm just going to, yeah. But to I know this day, that, I'm a plower. Because sometimes you do, like you were doing that first spot in the original room sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. I'll plow. It's the worst. Yeah. yeah. You, I don't want to riff on like, are you from Australia? Blah, blah, blah. Why they're still that, seating people. Why they're still seating people. None <laughs> of that has any value to yeah, me. I don't, yeah. that's not, how, no, not what I feel about talking about in my soul. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Then I'm like, it becomes this exercise in just practicing saying the words. Yeah. You know? Um, and you're conscious of that? Yes, very conscious. Like when you're up there plowing, like because I'm not a plower, you know, I'll I'll be like, oh yeah, you're an acknowledger. Yeah, yeah, and because I'm like, I'm not going to let you do this to me. Right. (laughs) I I hold them responsible. Yeah. Is this how it's going to be? Fine. Yeah. But like when you're plowing, do you do you feel the bit not hit? Yeah, and then I'll just keep going. I'll just again just keep going. I think that's a good. Get to the end of the finish line. Yeah. So I ate it, and then six months later, she put me again, and I did. Well, but at that time like, you're doing alt rooms, getting your chops. Yes. Yeah. And I think pretty quickly too, I started putting on like my own shows where I would headline, and I thought I had like 40 minutes, yeah. and I would do 40 minutes uh, at like the dark room in San Francisco, which is a black box theater, yeah. um, and have like other people like Kevin Kamiya or whatever feature. And- That's the way to do it though because like if yeah. I need to really write shit, like I'm gonna start at the Steve Allen Theater for two months weekly, like every Tuesday over at the Steve Allen. Yeah. Just and be like $5 and I'm just, you know, you know, lower your expectations. Totally. Let's see what happens. Yeah. So that's a, that was pretty um, like uh, not only dedicated, but it was a smart thing to do because like even if you didn't have 40 minutes, at least you're doing 40 minutes. Yeah, and like Moshe Kasher and Brent mm-hmm. Weinbach mm-hmm. had put on a lot of their 
own shows. And I are they your generation? No, they're older. They, I mean, they started before me. Did they? They, they started really? maybe like four years before me. But because I think he featured for me or opened for me when Moshe was like sort of disturbing looking. Oh, hilarious! You remember when he was all hip hoppy and fucking weird and like you couldn't quite see what his personality was because he was so uncomfortable he's and like angry. He's like Madonna. He's gone through many awesome. Well, now he's all faces. sort of nice and clean and haircutted, <laughs> and he's got glasses that are sometimes colored pink. <laughs> You know, but like when I first worked with him, he was like frightening in a way because <laughs> he was so unformed and so clearly mad. Yeah. And then gradually at the punchline, the goal is to like host. Yeah. And then you meet all of these awesome yeah. headliners like yourself yeah. and Dave Attell. Me on the wrong week, but me, I get you, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to be honest, yes. Mm. Uh, Patrice O'Neill, who all helped me a lot when I moved to New York. Doug Benson. And then um, I think... Someone said to me, too, if you stay in San Francisco long enough to move up to feature at the punchline, you stayed too long. Right. And then I was like, yeah. And I got it. And then after four years, and I felt it. And I was like, I got to go. And yeah. I want to go to New York. And I want to become like, a, you, you want to be in show business. A great comic. Yeah. Yeah. I want to yeah. become a great comic. Yeah. Is, is, that's still the goal. You know, even when people say to me, like, Oh, are you still doing the stand-up thing? What the fuck? What the fuck? And I still God feel like it. so insulted, so hurt. Yeah. And I'm like, that is my thing. That's the thing that I always do. Amateurs I, ruined it. Amateurs ruined it. And I never got into stand-up as like a backdoor to yeah. TV writing fuck or acting. No. All of that is like a way for me to not do shitty shows anymore. Like when I go out on the road, like when I travel, I want it. Like that's why I'm hoping this special you know, is a game changer for me because I hope that when I travel and I'm away from my daughter for like a night yeah. or three days that it's worth it and right. that it feels good because I can work out stuff in LA. I yeah. love doing 15 minute spots yeah. in LA, but when I go on the road, like I don't want to do like six days in the last smoking club in America yeah. anymore. Right. You know, I can't. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. Well, that, you know, that was sort of, my realization when, you know, when I started this podcast and I was looking down the barrel at being broke and, you know, and being a comic for 20 years and being a headliner, yeah. I was like, I, I don't want to do that. Right. For my whole, like, what? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, all I ever wanted to be was a comic. And then I had this fluky success with this, yeah. this secret skill. And, but still, like, for me, like, I, I just got done shooting a, a season of my show, right? So now, like, I got to I got put together another hour. Yeah. And there's that moment where you're like, I've only been doing Saturdays for four months because I'm shooting a TV show. Right. And I'm like, I don't fucking, where does, how does that happen? Yeah. How do I do a new hour? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, I But then I know, it feels so good, too, to, one like, joke, have that. One joke. Yeah. Like, one new joke. Because I just, I did yeah. the special, which which not many people saw. And then I had to go out and do three, you know, two, three shows that were hours at theaters, small theaters. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I, I've just, go, I can't do all old stuff. Did like, you what, do some old stuff? I did a couple because yeah. I, because you have weird to. Thing, well, the weird thing is, is like most people haven't seen my special. It was on Epics, uh -huh. and now it's on Hulu and Amazon. Like, what am I thinking? That all 800 people made saw made, it, and they're going to hold you accountable, and they'll be like, seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom. No new yeah. stuff. That's somebody we invent. That person lives in our head more than that. There's one totally dick who will do that, but whatever. Head. Fuck them. Yeah. But the thing was, is like, because of what you were talking about before, you know, that sort of like, you know, like, yeah. and just getting up there and like, this is where it happens, man. Yeah. And you don't even think that way. You, you like when, you, I don't know about you, but when I'm going out there, I'm not like, like, okay, I hope, I hope something happens. I do say that, but I'm like, 
I'm not hard on myself because once I get up there, yeah. if I've got the rage or I've got the thoughts, they'll you know they'll come with the relationship mm-hmm. with the audience. Yeah. And I got one new chunk that I I kind of polished over three weeks. That's a nice big bit, and I'm like. I'm going. You're going. <laughs> and you can't, and like that journey yeah. is like better than the result itself. Oh, yeah. That's why even like when a, you know, a special's done, I'm like, I'm not done with those jokes. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I like, I keep adding to them. Yeah, still, yeah, you can write. Like, and I watch it over and I'm like, oh, I could have refined that so much better. Right. Like, it just, it never ends. Well, that's what happens when you write like we do. It's never finished. Yeah. You just, you just expand the conversation. Right. You know? Yeah. And I'm still, like I said, I'm still so in love with that, you know. And it's, so it's creative. It's a, it's what it's being a good comic. Yeah. And you're a very good comic. Oh, thank you. Like that fucking special's great. Thanks. Like I've never seen like you know it's like rare that like but I always like watching you but the thing because of you know you're you're you, you know you've had you got fucking guts and and you're not afraid and your style I I like you know people who like you know kick some balls oh thanks (laughs) i think it's also there's like this whole new there was like this thing when maybe i was starting to like even now maybe still where it was like unfashionable to have energy yeah you know what i mean it was like look lazy look lazy be soft-spoken like you know because then it really speaks to the writing or something and that's no fun yeah i'm not into (laughs) yeah yeah so I, but like when I'm working stuff out, I will do that thing where I will be like very soft spoken to see, cause I do want to see if just the material will stand on itself uh, without cool. the Chris energy. Rock does that. Yeah. I'm really into that. Really? I think that's a really good technique. Cause huh. then once you pair it together with a big audience, then it's like, but you do want to, then if the material stands on its own with like you being all soft yeah. and it's like, okay, this is good. Yeah. This yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So you go San Francisco, New York, and then what brings you to LA? Back to LA um, after you know after all I that. Had gotten uh, a manager, and then he was like, "You need to come to LA for pilot season." And then I started working and doing some TV stuff, acting stuff, and then I just decided to stay. I was resisting it, and then one day I was just like, "I am going to decide to like LA." Yeah. And as soon as I made that decision and stopped being bitter about how you have to drive everywhere and how it's like superficial, or whatever, and I embraced it, I loved it. And now I can't see myself living anywhere else. It's so authentically diverse. I'm from, you know, San Francisco now yeah. is whack. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah. it's whack. It's like so unaffordable, so not diverse. Yeah. You know, like my sister, I live in Culver City. Yeah. And my sister came with me to this comic book store like two blocks away. And she yeah. was like, there's a black dude running that comic book store and it blew her mind. And she was like, in San, you know, cause in San Francisco, she was like, she was like, this is, a, you know, LA is so crazy. Like yeah. you have access to like all this amazing Asian food. Yeah. And in San Francisco, it was just like all rich white and Asian yeah, the, people. The mission is like unidentifiable now. Yeah. It's like, what, what is this? I lived at like 22nd and South Van Ness in 1992. Yeah. And it was like, it was like the wild west. Right. It was fucking crazy. It was crazy. like The Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. And there's still that one corner where you get out of the BART admission. Yeah, straight sort of, up squalor. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. It's not, like, well, how can you have this with all this money and everything? But that but still that, exists. That one fucking corner. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fucking exciting. You yeah. Get out there, you're like, thank <laughs> God. So it's still... exciting if you didn't grow up in that. And you're like, <laughs> even as a kid. Like yeah, even as a kid, I was like, leave me alone. Yeah. 
stop trying to talk to me. I don't feel sorry for any of you. <laughs> um, so, okay, but with the husband, did he just move out here? Where were you guys he at? did. You were so, like, you were in New York? I was two- in New York, and then he moved to San Francisco and to do like startup stuff. Yeah. And then um, I was here, and I was like, what are we going to do, buddy? I'm not coming back to San Francisco. And... <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do buddy? and uh and i i mean i still can't believe to this day that he he moved here yeah for me yeah because yeah. it was like i've never had anybody do that before yeah and it still flatters me yeah to this day that he did that yeah uh with you know no no community for him i had all my girlfriends from college and everything they're all here still they're all here and i love them to death we all had kids at the same time Mm -hmm. and we all like hang out without Mm -hmm. the boob and breastfeed together while we like complain about our kids is there a place called boob and breastfeed there's a place called the pump station oh there is where people do get together who like those are for women who kind of i think don't have their tribe yet yeah and they need to find their tribe of Uh women who are going through the same shit as them Uh and they just because you need that Uh Um, and they gather and they breastfeed together yeah. and exchange tips on how to breastfeed better Uh-huh. because it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. So like I, like this special is, you like I love that you didn't even really fucking address that you were pregnant till two thirds of the way in. Yeah, because it's not about that. I mean, I had, it's my first special. I'm, I never wanted to do And like, you just happened to be seven and a half months pregnant. Well, it was like, it was, I think- It was time for me to do, I felt like it was time for me to do a special because I'd been doing stand-up comedy for 10 or so years. And I was like, I want to put a lot of this material away. Yeah. And I had never done, you know, like a half hour or anything like that. And also with the being pregnant thing, like so many people discouraged me from having a kid because they were like, why are you going to have a kid? We're never going to see you again. Because it's true, like female... Like, it's very rare to see a female comic who has a kid or is yeah. pregnant because female stand-up comics don't get pregnant. Yeah. Because once they do have a baby, they disappear. Yeah. They become a martyr and then they stop doing stand-up. But that's not the case with male stand-up comics. I talk about this on stage. Yeah. Male stand-up comics, they have a baby and they get up on stage like a week after yeah. the baby's born. Talk about it. And then they'll like complain about how the baby's shitty yeah. and boring and annoying yeah. and all these other shitty dads in the audience are like, that's hilarious. Yeah. I identify. Yeah. And then their fame just swells yeah. because now they're this relatable family funny man all yeah. of a sudden and they get an HBO special yeah. and a sitcom deal. And then the mom is at home suffering yeah. with bloody nipples, yeah. uh, <laughs> broken pussy, you know, <laughs> career over. And, and so like... For me, I had a lot of anxiety about it being over once I had a kid. And I was like, I'm not going to let that happen. And I'm not, I don't want like even like being pregnant to slow me down. So then I like planned it that way because I was like, I need to know for myself that this is not the end. Like having a kid is not the end that this is that. And I want to associate my baby girl and my pregnancy and having a kid with the beginning yeah, of and, something. And you like know? it was funny because, you know, my girlfriend is like, you know, Berkeley art school, kind of like painter, feminist, yeah. like, you know, you know, kind of full on. In, in, oh, yeah. I've and we're, her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's yeah. great. She's so awesome. she loves you. But like we're watching it and you're doing your riff on the housewife stuff. And like I know in my mind that this is really like 
you know, more feminist than any anything anyone's going to do who's some sort of self-declared feminist. Like, I know what you're doing. Right. Because it's like a Trojan horse. Like, you know, you sort of set up this idea, this conceit about wanting to be a housewife. Yeah. And then you just blow it up from the inside. Right. By, you know, being honest about your own sort of um, crass and exciting behavior. Yeah. I mean, pe- like, I, I joke that I think feminism is the worst thing that ever happened to women. Right. But surely people must understand that I'm joking. Well, but- and that what is more empowering than performing seven months pregnant no no i know that's why that's why the contradictions and the levels it works at that's why as a whole piece of stand-up and of you know and that there actually is sort of an arc to it yeah like it's not a one-person show but you know there are callbacks and then there was this revelation at the end that's you know that just sort of like it is completely um kind of uh i don't know what it, it kind of rewrites the whole special in that moment yeah but like it, it just works on so many levels. The shamelessness about being pregnant, the you know the conversations that you're having as a pregnant person, and then sort of like just talking about pregnancy as just another bit, right. and then like all that stuff about housewives the, because you know what you envied about them was so fucking you know kind of disgusting and beautiful yeah. that like it, it, it you know it works on both <laughs> levels you know like it, there there's something really feminist about it but there's also something you know liberating to people that may be living that life yeah and i think it's empowering for both types of women yeah and i don't you know like i hang out with a bunch of house moms yeah. now because i live in culver city yeah. there's this park yeah where all the house moms get yeah and i talk to them some of them are so fucking funny dude yeah and they're well, so they're, they're raw like, about their bodies they're going through some shit yeah. every day they're in the trenches yeah hilarious yeah and also like so like so happy to be housewives and i don't judge them at all you know and i think like if that like they're living it they're living the dream if that's what they you know that's but what also, they want like, to do the one thing that's important i think that that you're saying is that it's when women become mothers, especially early on, yeah. you know, they lose a good portion of their identity. Right. And, and so what, you know, what I hear you saying is that like, these were all probably like pretty, you know, a lot of them might've been really radical chicks. Yeah. And then they, they sort of this, this shift of identity doesn't mean that that personality is gone. They just might not know where to engage it. Yeah. Well, they, some, some of them engage it with their kids. Like right. I knew a mom who just like, was like, she, I think she was probably pretty radical before. I just yeah. knew her as a mom she didn't believe in having her kids do homework. Yeah. Uh, she, cloth diapers. Those women are hardcore who yeah. do the cloth diapers. I'm like, Jesus. And then she's still rocking all the armpit hair, everything. And it's like, she's just engaging with her kid, going to war with teachers. Yeah. Who are, they're like, why the fuck is your kid not doing homework? And you're like encouraging it, you know? And I'm like, that's awesome, yeah. you know? Yeah. But you gotta be really... That like it's just so weird to me when people have these overarching statements about what it's like to have kids because it's so different. It's like, do we make any overarching statements about what it's like to have parents? Every parent is different and every kid is different. Yeah, and you know, like, like breastfeeding. Which what time is it now? Because I, I might have to pump soon. Ten after twelve. I have to pump. Jesus, I'm long overdue. So, uh, so you don't mind watching this? No, it'll be very interesting for you. Okay. So. Basically, with like breastfeeding, super sensitive. Yeah. Too, because some women don't have time. Yeah. And they want to go back to work, or maybe they don't have enough milk in their breasts to yeah. breastfeed. And but like on the west side of Los Angeles, there are these crazy lactivists that make you feel like your daughter's going to turn into a prostitute <laughs> if you don't. 
breastfeed, you know? <laughs> Lactivists? Yes, that's like a thing. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I breastfeed, but it's hard. Yeah. It's like, you'll see now. I have to, you know, <laughs> do this whole thing in front of you. Do you, um... See, this is leaning in. Breastfeeding in an interview with Mark Marin. Jesus. But do you have an electric thing or is it all, is this just There's the an electric is? thing and I have a hand pump for when I'm in the car and yeah. I'm driving and yeah. I just got a release too. Yeah. Pump and drive? Can't you pull over? They actually make it for driving or you just use it that way? Well, I got to go some places sometimes and I can't be late, you know? So it's <laughs> like I got to just do this. Some, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the... Do you want me to walk you through this? Because I can. Sure. Yeah, you don't have to try to talk about something else. Okay. I'll like just All walk right. you through. So, so I have to take. I have to wear this bra. Right. See that yeah. has holes in it. Yeah. For these little funnel cups to yeah. go through. Okay. Yeah. And um. So. My mom didn't breastfeed. It was not my fashionable. My mom didn't either. Yeah. It was like. Yeah. Okay. Then I have to see. Take this off here. Yeah. Take the regular bra. Take the regular bra. But that's a nursing bra because it's like pull, pull. So then yeah. I can just have easy access oh, to the Oh, I get baby. it. I get it. And then I have to wear these. So you these, switch them out. Switch them out. I have to wear these pads in here. So you don't leak? So that I don't leak all over yeah. in public. Then I have to put on this bra. This is what women have to do at work. Yeah. When they go back to work. Yeah. Up to sometimes like a two years. Really? Yeah. Just every three hours. And then a lot of women freak out about their milk production going down. Yeah. Because when, yeah. how long do you do the breastfeeding? I I'm gonna just do it as long as it I Keeps feel like doing up. it. I've been doing it for five months now. Yeah. But I'm trying to you know if I feel like you know giving her formula and I feel like not doing it anymore because it's too much then then I'll just switch you know. So you rig up one of those pumps to both boobs. Yeah. So this is. Both boobs, so you get them at the same time. Oh, so that time. so you do have the electric thing, or is that? I have an electric thing, and I also have a hand pump too. But the electric is nice because they get and hands free. Then I don't have to. Um, do you need to plug it in, or is it? That, I think that one still has juice in it. It's oh, it's battery. Yeah. So you'll see. Oh, you can't see it up close, but when it starts coming oh, out, yeah, I could stand up. Yeah. But yeah. When you'll see, it's like when it comes out of my nipples. It's it's quite exciting. It's like the Bellagio fountain. <laughs> Just the different streams of liquid jumping up and over each other. Yeah. See? Can you hear it? Yeah, you can hear it. Oh. Well, sorry, WTF listeners. Yeah. How long does uh, how long do you do you pump for? Ten to fifteen minutes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's exciting. Yeah. So there what it if, is. What if you just lift that off the table a minute? Uh, not that the machine. That's better. Is that better? Okay. Yeah. I mean, so when's it going to happen? It's happening. It's coming down. I think you just can't see it right Wait, now. Wait, hold on. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Does it like like? Does it pick up speed? Um. Or is that it? Yeah, it picks up speed. It's called a letdown. Yeah. That's when like, and I can feel it. Like it'll like tingle, and then yeah. it'll like gush out. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah, but you can't. Uh. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see how it's like coming more frequently oh, now. Oh, my God. Yeah, isn't that crazy? My it's body's a food factory. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've never seen it before. Yeah. It's a first. Yeah. It's dedication, man. Yeah. When I So I had a C-section. Yeah. And in the hospital, I had to, like, when I was breastfeeding, you know, I was, like, still recovering from my body being sliced open and then had her chewing on my nipples yeah and it was like it was rough dude yeah and i didn't know how to do it correctly i was bleeding uh, big great. learning curve i guess big learning curve curve you, you raw were, dog you were bo- bleeding bleeding and she was like poor baby girl was like spitting up blood why were you bleeding because i was breastfeeding incorrectly really i thought the baby's just supposed to suck on your nipple like a straw yeah but you have to get them to latch on at a very it's like it's a whole thing i, I never took a class i should have taken a class <laughs> Yeah. I like didn't read any parenting books. No? No. And what's your husband do in all this? My husband, I mean. Was he supportive? And like, were you like, I don't, I'm fucking, this is hard. And he was like, we'll be all right. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he was like, we'll be all right. But they can't do anything. I mean, it still blows my mind that a woman goes through all of this. Yeah. So involved with her body. Yeah. And zero happens to a man's body. You resentful? Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit resentful. I mean, even now, you know, where yeah. it's like I the boob is powerful. It's yeah. like the only thing that will some you know, that will soothe her if she's hungry yeah. or something or if she's like fussy. Yeah. And I'm the only one who can do it. And she doesn't need she doesn't need his body like she needs my body. Right. You know, and I thought it was I didn't understand how involved breastfeeding was. Like yeah. for for nine months, I was her house. Yeah, and I couldn't drink and eat tuna fish. Yeah, and do all this stuff. Yeah, and then I, or like do shrooms or ayahuasca anymore. Yeah. And then when and now that I'm like breastfeeding, I'm her refrigerator, and I still can't drink or do ayahuasca or any of that stuff anymore. It's like your body is still so involved. But are you getting joy out of it? A lot of joy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that part is really true. Yeah. yeah. She's great. And yeah. she makes me laugh hard. Like, when you become a comic that doesn't laugh out loud. Yeah, I can't. As yeah. much anymore. Like, she's the, one of the, her and my husband are like, and my friends are the only, who aren't in comedy, are the only things that make me laugh. Yeah. Hysterically. Yeah. 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 She's funny. She's sweet. And like, you know, all that, when people are like, don't you, aren't you going to miss doing all the stuff you're able to do. I'm like, yeah, but I get to do other stuff now. Right. You know? Well, you have a good attitude about it. Yeah. I mean, it helps too that all my best friends got pregnant at the same time. So we have like a nice tribe, a nice little kula going on. Did you always knew that you were going to do that? Like, was there ever a point in comedy like before these other women comics or whoever was advising you not to have kids? Was there, were you always going to have kids? Yeah. Yeah. I always had like, I grew up in a big family. Yeah. And. So you think you're going to have more? Yeah, I want to have it. Like, I want to try to have three. Yeah? I think, yeah. I grew up in a big family, and also, I grew up with old parents. Yeah. And so, I always knew that they were, you know, when you grow up with, like, old parents, you yeah. kind of never feel protected, and you're, you're always scared that they're going to die. Uh-huh. And, but thank God I had my, had my siblings. Yeah. And so, when my dad passed away, I can't imagine going through that, and still going through that, without any one of my siblings. Yeah. And I don't want my daughter to be alone. Scared of that? Yeah, well, yeah. I just want her to grow up with like how I did because it was so fun yeah. growing up with my siblings. I had one; it was good. It was enough. Yeah, yeah, but three's about right. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, then there, there's a little diversity. Yeah. Age separation. So, like, what I noticed though, about the special, you know, is that you really can do a, like, almost like a companion special, like, within a year. Yeah, I want to. About childbirth. Yeah. Because, like, you were just speculating about it. Right. And, now, and you were speculating about all this stuff and based on what you heard. And it seems like the the um, the childbirth experience that you had was not as bad in the same way as you were describing in the special. Like the fear, yeah. like you didn't have to go through prolonged labor or did the, you, were you always planned a cesarean or, or did, no. was that? I tried to go for vaginal and I was having contractions for 24 hours <sighs> and then I was like, I give up. <laughs> Re- oh, really? Yeah, and they were like, keep going. I was like, hail to the nah. <laughs> cut that shit out. <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> like Dave Coulier said, cut it out. And then, uh, yeah. but this, you know, C-section's no joke. It's real yeah. surgery. And then the anesthesiologist missed on my back like 10 times because she was like, your spine is twisted. I was like, your medical education must be twisted because you, I see all these bloody tissues around me. I was like sobbing. She was like, are you crying? I was like, yes, I'm crying because <laughs> you're stabbing my back with this needle like 10 times. And, it, and before- And your dad was an anesthesiologist. My dad was an anesthesiologist. And I was He would have like, nailed it. He would have nailed it. That's what my mom said too. Yeah. That was the first thing she said. Right. She's like, your dad would have- <laughs> nailed it um but yeah and then like when my husband came in the room yeah. i had been sobbing my I, my whole body was shaking i don't know why i was freezing uncomfortable Ugh. and i had like you know a shower cap on and like and it just felt and it was, i was in like this cold room and i was like we're never having kids again uh-huh. and i was like this is it and then as soon as she came out and i saw her i was like let's do it again yeah, yeah. really yeah it's that powerful it's like you know I mean, I've done ay- ayahuasca, but like a kid is like, it's powerful. I was about to say you're saying it's better than ayahuasca. Oh, way better. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you have your, your priorities in the right place. Well, let's go back around to that, to that, like, when did you do ayahuasca? Like, when, how did your husband get involved with that? Because you talk in this special a little bit about being a little bit, not hippie, but, you know, kind of, I don't know what you'd call it now, but it's kind of hippie shit. Yeah. It's like new age stuff. Yeah, yeah. But now everybody did, does ayahuasca. But I know. He, it seems to be popular. He did it when like not everybody was doing it. Yeah. And um, we went to Mexico and I thought it was going to be like I all I talked these... to one other person about this, Simon Amstel. Oh. Yeah. We went um, with all of these, I thought it was going to be all of these like hippie white people with dreadlocks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from like Portland and Seattle yeah. or something. Yeah. And it was all uh, Mexican women uh-huh. dealing with like, you know, it's like personal stuff like yeah. divorce yeah. or, you know, their kids getting into trouble uh-huh. or relatives. It was like, it was really, really interesting. Yeah. And um, and it was hard. Like the first, you we did it two nights yeah the first time and the first night i just like threw up and it was scary and i had diarrhea because that's what happens they call it purging yeah um and then at the time i had like this really bad uh like like i had rosacea i had like really bad skin on my face and i didn't know why and i had and then this shaman there told me that your skin reflection is your skin is a reflection of your lack of self-esteem and your body is punishing you for thinking that you're ugly. Yeah, it was really weird. And then I... Did that fit? Yeah, it did. Because uh-huh. like for some reason, I was like in New York and I was like eating pizza and getting fat and I yeah. had bad skin. And I was like, I was feeling like really ugly. Yeah. And and then that 
And then um, I did it and I had this like in my journey. Gosh, I think I went on this journey where like. So you do it three times before like you did it the ver- the first night. You're supposed a- to do it three nights, but we missed our flight and we didn't make it the first night. Right. But the first, so we only did it twice right. the first time. And the first night was like bad and I didn't have a good experience. Yeah. And the second night I went on this like beautiful journey where like I met myself. Yeah. Like 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 a you know how you dream but you don't see like yeah. yourself you right. just see other people right i literally met like a double of myself and we went on this like romantic date and we had fun and we were like fucking in a barn like i like literally like i With ate yourself yes like i ate my pussy you ate in your my, own pussy. yes and it was like super fun laughing yeah. hysterically and then i was like I'm fun. I'm beautiful. I'm like, I want to eat my pussy. And it was like a show don't tell thing. You know, like people can tell you like, you're beautiful. What are you talking about? You're skinny. And that you're skinny. You're great. You're like, you're amazing. But I experienced myself being fun and, and it was great. And change your life. I mean, it changed like, yeah, what your I needed for that. And then when my dad died, you know, I had like a really hard time with that as people do when their parents die. And, you know, I was able... Was it a surprise? I mean, was he sick? It was a surprise, yeah. He was sick, but it was a surprise. Yeah. Still. And um, it was, like, really hard. It was not, like, a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, the journey, like, I really... I felt... This is the second time you did it? This was maybe the the second or third time I did it. In a different location, like, in Santa Cruz. And Uh I felt... I felt him suffering. Yeah. And I was like, you know, made a little bit more peace with him passing because I felt like I, I, I felt it and I and I threw up and it was it was really hard. Yeah. But um, so it forced you into like a sort of fragile state of, of deep empathy for totally suffering. And yeah. It, and it was able to temper the grief a bit. Yeah. Your loss. You know, you were able to frame it differently in knowing that you know it was time yeah like I, and i felt suffering like from my mom too mm-hmm. like and i oh, felt like wow. i was like lying down in the um what do you call it what do you uh, the yurt the yurt you're yeah. in the yurt sure and i was lying down in the yurt and i just because i couldn't sit up anymore because yeah. i could just feel all this pressure on my shoulders yeah and like it was like suffering yeah and i was like oh this is like a fraction of what my dad felt because he was sick. And what did he have? He had cancer. Yeah. And he couldn't deal with it yeah. anymore, yeah. you know? And then for my mom as the caretaker, it's tough. Did he, like, take his own life? He was depressed. I mean, he was, like, he was sick. He was, he had cancer, and he was, he was, he was depressed. Terminal. Yeah. Yeah. So, he, he had cancer, and he was sick. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that was, that's probably still like the worst thing that's ever happened to me is my dad passing. Yeah. Yeah. In the ayahuasca thing that, how how do you manage your emotions? Is it, you know, do you, is there a guide there? I mean, was there a point where you thought you'd get lost in, or or like, is it like a trip? There is like a shaman to guide the whole thing, but the whole point is you're supposed to go through it yourself and you don't want people like rubbing your back. Yeah. You don't want people like talking to you and touching you. Yeah. Like whatever's happening to you, even if like you're screaming yeah. and like seeing demons or whatever, like there's a reason why you're supposed to go through it. So. And did you talk about this stuff with your husband after and shit? Um, yeah, of course. He doesn't always like to talk about what 
happened and yeah. he's a little bit more private about it because I think then maybe it sort of colors what the journey actually was when right. you put it in a frame. Right. But I don't mind. You so know? you see this as a practical therapeutic thing to do yeah. a couple times a year. Yeah. Like I said, it's like a show don't tell thing yeah. because, you know, people can tell you like, you know, your dad was sick, he was suffering and he led a good life. Yeah. But... I saw all of that and people told me that and I couldn't hear it. Right. But once I saw all that, I was able to like deal with it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Like it would, I don't, now I don't, I had a miscarriage and I don't uh, think about it that much. You talk now. about it in the special. I do talk about it in the special. And that's another thing that you sort of like unpacked in terms of like, there's a lot of things in the special that, you know, from the mundane to, you know, the, the sort of intense that, you know, are, are shame triggers for a lot of women right. and you just fucking unload them. Yeah, I wish women would be, didn't have to feel so shamed about it because, you know, a lot of, the wrong question. It's a great joke though. Thank you. The, the wrong question <laughs> to ask a woman who's had a miscarriage is why? Yeah. I mean, what kind of question is that, you know? <laughs> and some people even like said to me like, oh, is it because, you know, you were too active and like performing a lot or like, and it's like they want to shame you it's literally that's shaming yeah or they just want to find a reason why and it's like with miscarriages it's so common and if women knew how common it was they wouldn't blame themselves yeah. so much and be so secretive right about it right you know yeah but i and unfortunately you know i i talked about it even uh, and I, and people felt uncomfortable with it because I think people usually only talk about the fact they had a miscarriage after they have like a full term yeah. pregnancy. Yeah. Um, but I had told people early on that I was pregnant like week four, oh, which, right. you're, which you're not supposed to right, do. Right, right. And then I was like, I don't understand why people keep it a secret. And yeah. then I was like, oh. This is why. Now I understand why people are secret. Because <laughs> you don't want to deal with people asking you why. Yeah. You know? Okay, now we're ending the pumping. You see? Oh, yeah. How do you know it's done? They didn't fill up all the it's way. It's 15 minutes. Oh. No, I mean, she doesn't need it to fill, fill up all the way. Some right. women have it fill up all the way. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. This is like, I mean, this is how much she needs like in a feeding. Uh-huh. And do you have to uh, eat certain things to make milk production or any of that? Is Oatmeal's a... good. Really? There's a tea called mother's milk that's really? good. Yeah. Fenugreek. Oh, yeah. That's uh, yeah. the Indian spice. Yeah. Um, so you were now with the C-section because you talk a, a lot about, you know, the uh, the the ripping of the vagina. Yes. You were able to avoid that? Yeah, that's all intact. But, you know, I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not put to like much use these days. So uh -huh. it's like, you know, I mean, when you have a, see, then I got to dab yeah. it afterwards. Right. Um, after, you know. Like, I thought I was going to die when yeah. the anesthesiologist kept missing on my back. Yeah. Because it's gonna... a spinal tap, right? They yeah. Were, yeah. I thought I was going to die or become, like, paralyzed from her messing up my spine. And at that point, I was like, I do not care. Just yeah. I just want to get the baby out safely first. Like, the mama instinct kicked in real quick. Yeah. Like, I don't care if I die. Yeah. But just please get her out safely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, but it's just crazy how your body... Like, I had... I mean, I had some friends, too, who, like, they... 
they uh, labored for like 72 hours, and then they still had to have a C-section. Their <sighs> pussies straight up look like, they showed me afterwards, straight up look like two hanging dicks yeah. side by side. <laughs> in the pro- Hardcore. Yeah. In the process of giving birth to a baby girl, they became a dude. Yeah. Two dudes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, it's just crazy what happens to women's bodies. These moms now who I meet are like the funniest most raw women I've ever met that, you know, yeah. talking about their hemorrhoids and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And they're not talking about like, they're not hacky talking about yeah. hemorrhoids because right. we've heard the hacky hemorrhoid yeah, yeah. mom jokes at right. the park. Like, right. Oh yeah. Really you, funny. You, you, you judge, you know, you're like, nah, I heard yeah, that one. Yeah, heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got to get a new angle on that. Yeah. So, so tell me how long you've been writing television professionally. Like you're, you're on fresh going, off the boat? Yes, that's been happening for two years. I'm really good friends with um, the lead actor, Randall Park. I know him from, we did comedy, like sketch comedy yeah. stuff together. And he, you know, was like, why don't you come in and write for the show? Yeah? And then, yeah. And How then, is it? You're in the room? How many people in the room? Uh, 13. Mm, big. Big, but yeah. then you know, once the season starts going and we lose the showrunner, yeah, it's a lot because there's always people on set, yeah, people you know having to be off on script. So you really need, and you have to split the room into two to try yeah. to break two stories at once. So you working with Jake, Kasdan? yes, yeah, yeah. I don't He's see him that guy. often. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Lynn Shelton directed a bit. Yes, she's great. She's great. Yeah, I love her. She directed a couple of mine. Yeah, yeah. She's so awesome. Yeah. And the writing, like, uh, well, Sarah, who watches the show occasionally, my mm-hmm. girlfriend, said that uh, the mother character sounds a lot like you. Like, oh, you that's must be- funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, you know, I mean, there, yeah, I mean, I write, I do. I, you know, I read on the show and yeah. there's like, there's definitely, I would hope part yeah. of me sure. that people can see um, in and the show. It's been great. Like I didn't ever set out to be a TV writer. Have right. you ever done it? Just for my show. Just for your show. With TV writing too, I think as a stand-up comic, you gotta, you gotta watch out because it can be, it's, it's comfortable right? You know, and it can be a trap. And I was talking to Tom Papa about it because I think some comics they get into tv writing oh, yeah, and, that, and that might not be the thing that they set out to do yeah you know but then they fall into it and it gets comfortable and they get into it before they find their own voice right and then it's like you're stuck there and then at, when you're like 40 sometimes in tv writing they don't want you anymore because you're too old yeah. and then then they can't they try to come back to stand up and it's too hard, you know. It's right, like, you know, like I don't, I, I don't get the sense. I haven't gotten the sense too many times that they're coming back to stand up to actually start making money as a stand up. Right. Because, like, I always framed it like, you know, not everyone's cut out to fucking live the life of a comic. Right. And when when young people ask me about comedy, I'm like, well, you know, if you can write jokes. Yeah. And you know, and you want to do comedy, just realize that the jobs that are available to you are, you know, if you if you can't cut it as a stand up. I mean, I don't necessarily wish that on anybody. It takes a unique person right. to find their voice. Yeah. And some dudes, a lot of the dudes that I started out with, they, you know, they they did comedy, they did stand up, but they practically, like normal human beings realize like I ain't going to be one of the 10 guys that makes money at this. Right. This is going to be a long, hard life, but I have this talent. Yeah. So I'm going to go into writing. Yeah. So I try to frame it that way. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I imagine a lot of them have regret or whatever, but who the hell knows if they'd ever find their voice or actually make a living as a comic that could support a family and get right. the insurance and everything. I just think that 
you know, it all it's always been that way. You know, these guys that do comedy, okay. Yeah. You know, and maybe even remember them, but you know, they they go make the big fucking dollars. You know, you know, writing for shows, becoming showrunners, becoming producers. Right. You know what I mean? It's a whole other trajectory. I don't begrudge them. Like I don't judge them negatively at no, all. No, I don't either. And I think like if if they enjoy doing it, if that's what they wanted to do, but I, for me personally, like I don't want to. Like get into it and then lose like. Well, you're the my real deal. Like, thing. there's you're not. You know, you you're rare. You, you know, there's very few people that respect stand up for stand up, really anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's a sad thing, and I think that the that, that the army of amateurs that you know can get stage time in their little corner. You right. know, sometimes for years have sort of diminished what it means to to really call yourself a stand-up comic. Right. There's 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 not that many of them. Yeah. And you know, and you seem to have that in perspective and you know, I, I hear some of it as self-talk. You know, like, you yeah. know, I'm not going to fucking, you know, I'm not fucking stop. Like you're actually telling yourself yeah. as you're telling me. <laughs> I hope so, but like something's got to give, right? Because like if I'm working during the day at a writing job till like 6 p.m. Yeah. sometimes like 8 p.m., then it's and like and I'm store. doing the run to the store. When am I going to see my kid? You know, well, like they, something's but, got to give at some point. And then at, and then like I have to, you know, I don't know. I mean, I have to get back into that like uncomfortable, like pure stand up zone again, too. Yeah, but like, it comes back pretty quick. And, yeah. you're, you know, and you're, you know, you, it doesn't seem like, you know, you're at risk of having complete peace of mind anytime soon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's so, hope not. But like, I think also that you, there's some you know, a gratitude available to you in that you know it's nice to have the job and and to have you know some security and have the insurance and like like you said like you know you don't need to go do B rooms for nobody for a living right which is a gift and you know you're still compulsive about doing the work and you're going out and doing the work and the special's fucking great and you know you know, hopefully you'll get a little draw yeah. or you find a, uh, an angle you know where where people want to come see you and recognize you that way so then when you go out on the road it can be sort of a special one night thing not a three night yes. thing and you, you know what i mean yeah i hope so i want that for you i want that i think you deserve you. it man i, I really I, I mean i'm not blowing smoke up your ass i don't really do that i've always um, uh, uh, i've always admired your 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 guts and your fucking style and you know the writing is fucking great and you know no one really is doing what you do oh thank you as as a comic like you take you know you really push it you know in a in a great way you know it's smart it's dirty it it means something and and uh you know i loved it and i love talking to you thanks so much what do we got to do with that milk now oh i you just put it in the little put thing in we the put in the freezer in your freezer yeah all right you want some ice cream yeah okay I think that'd be great great I love, I love it. I saw, I, I saw a new thing. I experienced a new thing. I don't have children. I don't have a wife. So the pumping was, was sort of a big deal for me. And I, I'm glad you guys were all there with me for, for that experience. It was, uh, she's a fucking stud, man. Ali Wong's uh, special Baby Cobra premieres on Netflix tomorrow, Friday, May 6th. All right, go to WTFPod.com for all that stuff. Uh, watch my show, Marin, on IFC on Wednesdays at 9. If you miss them, you can go to ifc.com, Amazon, or iTunes. All right? Okay? Okay. Who? Man, I should rest my voice, right? I should play some guitar or something.
Boomer lives! <laughs>